Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. It is practically August, just slightly, a couple more days before it is, and I cannot actually believe that we are, we are already at this point in the summer. Um, and basically what that means is that students who haven't been working on their applications definitely need to start. One of the things we're going to be talking about today are supplemental essays. So uh, that is looming in the future. As soon as the Common App goes live on August 1, most colleges are going to have their supplemental essay prompts available. So we're going to talk a little bit more about those today. We're also going to be talking about three plus two engineering programs. So uh, if you or if your student is thinking that maybe they want engineering, but they want to explore some other things first, a three plus two program could be the perfect choice. And we're going to tell you more about that. Um, but first, we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means when a college meets 100% of demonstrated need. Uh, and joining me for that conversation is my colleague, Jean Mahan, who is a former financial aid officer at both Tufts and Quinn Sigamon Community College. Hi, Jean, how are you? Hi, Beth. I'm great. How are you today? Good. And I feel like it's been a while since you and I were on the podcast together. Yeah, I think ha so. Happy to have you here. Uh, one of the things that comes up, I don't know for how frequently, but it definitely comes up regularly, mm -hmm. um, is this concept of colleges who pledge to meet 100% of demonstrated need. And, um, you know, school first of all, we get a lot of skepticism about that. Well, how is that possible? How could they meet every student's uh, need? Uh, and then there's also the, well, this college says they meet 100% of need. Why didn't I get any financial aid, right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. they pledged to do this. So what does it actually mean um, when a college says that they are going to meet 100% of demonstrated need? Right. So families fill out financial aid applications. Everyone fills out a FAFSA. And then there are another couple hundred schools that use the College Scholarship Service CSS profile that the College Board puts out. And so, of course, everybody thinks they can't afford to send their kids to college. Like, I've never really met a person that thinks their EFC is reasonable or doable. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we're all in that same boat. But the school uses that information that families provide on their income and their non-retirement assets to determine what that family can pay. So you may not think that you can afford $30,000 a year, but based on the information you provided, that's what the school is telling you. So often families will say to me, well, I attended a session and they said finances will not be a problem. That should not be a barrier to enrollment. Mm -hmm. And it's a barrier enrollment for me. Um, and that's the reason is, is because they're looking at the numbers and they're saying, based on what you told us, this is what we think you can provide. Right. So it's usually not the number that the family has in mind. Right. Exactly. The big, the big issue, right, is that the family thinks they have this amount of need. Mm -hmm. The college says you actually have this amount of need. Right. And there's a difference between the oh, two. Yes, yes, for sure. So I guess that's the question is, how is a family's need calculated? Why are there differences between mm -hmm. the two? Right. So at schools that only use a FAFSA, 
they're not looking at things like your home equity. So, you know, if you're applying to a school that uses a profile, most of those schools are going to use a percentage of your home equity in calculating your family contribution. Every school is looking at things like your adjusted gross income for two years prior to the year of enrollment. They're looking at non-retirement assets. So if you have a vacation home, they're looking at equity in that vacation home. If you have a rental property, they're looking at your rental income. Mm -hmm. If you won the lottery last year, they're looking at those winnings, right? <laughs> right. So, and maybe you've got untaxed income. Maybe you withdrew from a retirement account. Maybe you had an inheritance. And so all of those things are factoring into what the school is looking at to determine what you can pay. As I mentioned, there's a few hundred schools that use the CSS profile, and the majority of those are also going to be using home equity at different percentages. So the best way to kind of get a sense of what you might be eligible for is to go onto the school's website and use a net price calculator. Mm -hmm. If the school requires information about your home equity, you'll, they'll ask that on the net price calculator, so you'll see different results than you may at a similarly priced school that doesn't use the CSS profile. Right, right. So that's pretty much, it's a pretty simple formula. Now, maybe last year you won the lottery and you spent that on paying down your mortgage, paying down debt, whatever. Go back to the school and say, hey, yeah, that's in my income for the base year, but it's no longer a thing. Right. Or I lost my job or during COVID I was laid off for six months. So those are things that families can go back to a school and say, yes, this is what it looked like in the base year, but that's no longer the case. So I think a lot of families don't realize you can go back and tell them, you know, yeah, that was a snapshot in time, but today is a new day. Right. And so you want them to sort of know kind of what um, what today looks like. Another thing that I hear from families a lot is they may be supporting other relatives, parents, you know, parents of the parents, yes. uh, grown children, whatever. And that's not necessarily showing up on these financial aid applications. But I once spoke to a family who was spending $75,000 a year in elder care for the student's grandparents. That's huge. That took yeah. a huge chunk out of their available income. So I encourage them to go back to the school and tell them about that so the school can make an adjustment. And most of the time, they're willing to do that for extenuating circumstances, medical, natural disasters, job losses, death of a parent, something like that. Right. So never hesitate to go back and make your unusual circumstances known to them. Right. I mean, I think this underscores one really important thing that we talk about all the time, which is it's never a bad thing to ask. Mm -hmm. The worst that can happen is the school will say, no, say no. They're never going to yank what they've already offered. Right. Or the, right. or the offer of admission, right? So, exactly. And I, I also think it does all point to the fact that different schools might view it differently. And one school might say, absolutely, we completely recognize it. And another school may recognize a little bit of it, but not all of it. So it is, it is a bit on a case-by-case -case basis. And you do need to ask, and you probably want to ask at every school that your child is interested right. in and, and try and negotiate. So getting back to this question of... Um, you know, how can colleges commit to, so we've already identified, right, that there is a difference, there can be a difference between what you think your need is and what the college thinks the need is. Right. So, um, but if we put that to the side, how can a college commit to that if they have no idea who's going to be in their applicant pool? You know, what allows them to say confidently, we will meet 100% of, 
demonstrated need or mm-hmm. unmet need? That's a great question because I think some families are very skeptical of the fact yes. that schools can do this. But when you think about some of the top u- universities in the country, you think about Stanford, Harvard, MIT, they have enormous endowments, enormous. Mm-hmm. And so they can devote more of their um, endowment towards assisting families that do have need. Right. So they're not they're not putting you on, they're not punking you, they're really doing it. And so there are only though, and this is important for families to understand, only about 70 colleges in the country that meet 100% of families demonstrated need. How do you find out that information? Yes. Well, you can check the website because of a school because certainly they're gonna be very proud to say, you know, we meet 100% of demonstrated need. Or if you're looking for a quicker way to do that, you can go to our blog and we have a post from July of last year, colleges that have the most generous financial aid. Just search mm-hmm. for that. It will pop up and it will give you a list of all the schools in the country. So that's a much easier and faster way. So if you've got, if your student has five or six schools of the, uh, on the list and mm-hmm. they're on that list, great. You know right. that, you know, you can, you can be pretty sure that they're going to be, you know, helping you. Right. I think the other point that I would make, too, about the colleges that promise to do this is that not only do they have generally pretty filled coffers to fund Mm -hmm. stuff like that, but they also see over time, I mean, those kinds of schools attract schools, uh, students and applicants who are wealthy. And so they are not necessarily going to have 100% of students in the applicant pool who will qualify for financial aid, right? So there's going to be a hefty percentage that um, don't need, that are going to be full pay, that don't need financial aid. What it really does mean, though, and as someone who did admissions at one of these schools that meets 100% of demonstrated need, that applying for financial aid, needing it or not needing it was never a conversation in the admissions committee. So we never discussed whether a family could afford Penn or not afford Penn. Mm -hmm. It was a non-factor in our admissions. And that's because we had the beauty of a backing of a policy that was, we will meet 100% of demonstrated need. On the flip side, too, and I'm sure this is not the case for all of those schools, I think, what did you say, 76 or 78? 78, about. 78, mm-hmm. right? Not all of those. Some of those schools probably do merit aid, but the more generous schools and the more um, selective schools, what you will tend to find is that they are only giving financial aid um, and not merit, right? So yes. you only will get money yes. if you need it. You're right. not going to get money just because they want you to come. Yeah, you're wonderful. They're, the pool is full of wonderful Einstein yes. types. And so it's very hard for them to differentiate. So they're much more generous. So at one school that doesn't meet 100% of unmet need, you may not qualify for need-based aid, even with your income, say, in the low 200000 range. But right. at some of these schools where the cost is now about $80,000, you may qualify for something. It may not be half of tuition, it may only be five or 10,000, but isn't it better to get five or 10,000 that somebody else is paying right. than you having to come out of your pocket? Right. So I encourage families to look at that blog so they can see that list all in one place and also to do the net price calculators just to get a sense of what am I eligible for at this, for at right. this particular school? And if you have some unusual circumstances, it's hard to do a net price calculator if you're, if you're a divorced family because it doesn't really work that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you think you might be on the cusp, it's probably worth having a conversation with the financial aid office of the school to find out, especially if your student is considering applying early decision, which is yeah. binding, to have a conversation to say, you know, this is what it looks like. Tell us whether we, you know, we're in the ballpark or not. 
Right. And that way you can go into an ED with wide, eyes wide open. Yeah, and I think that's another highlighting. Again, it never hurts to ask. There is no harm in asking before your student applies. Again, financial aid is not going to be ringing up admissions and saying, don't admit this student, they have a ton of need, right? Does not work that way. So if you are, have questions, ask them beforehand because the other challenge ED is binding, and yes, you can um, be released from the commitment if the financial aid package is not one that you feel you can handle as a family, but if presumably the student's applying early decision, they get in, they're super excited. Now you have a situation where you don't have enough financial aid, you have to tell your student, sorry, I know you got into your dream school, but we can't afford it, and that is also a difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say for a lot of families, that's the hardest conversation, right? right? right. So mm -hmm. why not have it in advance? And that way, when you're, um, you know, you don't commit to an early decision school and, and then find out later that there's no way the package is going to meet what you think you need, you'll find that out in advance and your student can focus on maybe a different uh, early decision school right. or not do early decision. Right. 100% agree. Yeah. I mean, it's just really important to do the due diligence prior to and having a conversation with your students so that yeah. you're all on the same page. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to put in plug again, 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 and I am going through this as a parent so I can say that I am following my own advice. The conversation about money cannot wait until after the fact. Oh, no. Or just like not happen, right? So right. On, a, on a previous podcast recently, we talked about how to have the talk. Mm -hmm. Either that or we're going to be airing one. It's coming soon um, if it hasn't aired already. Uh, and, and that has actually been part of the conversation that I'm having with my son. And it's been part of the conversation since the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So we are yes. not putting schools on the list where he won't either qualify for financial aid or for some merit aid. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to really qualify for financial aid, I don't think. So we're really focused mostly on the schools that are either starting at a price point we can afford or where he's going to qualify for merit aid that might make it affordable. But if he doesn't, then that school will be right. out even if he gets in. So right. difficult, but yeah. important, right? And I, I encourage families, so if our listeners have ninth or 10th graders, have that conversation now. So yeah. you're, you know, your kids will roll their eyes because that's what teenagers do. Yeah. That's their job. But your <laughs> job is to remind them about this is a family kind of thing. We're going to help. You're going to help. Hopefully you'll get some some aid from the school or some merit scholarships. But this is what we can do. And these are the things that we can't do. Yep. Maybe you're not in a position to borrow. Maybe you don't want to. Yeah. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. but, you know, have that conversation so that, like you said, on April 28th of, the, of your child's senior year, you're not all of a sudden saying, whoops, we really can't afford this school that we got nothing from. Right, right. So, yeah, early yeah. and often, as they say. <laughs> I think so. Like voting, right? Early yes, and exactly. often. <laughs> Jean, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're, you're so welcome. It was great to be here. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to be talking more about those three plus two engineering programs that I mentioned earlier. So don't go away. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. 
That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I'm excited to welcome my colleague, Landis Fryer, who's a former admissions officer at both Dartmouth and Northwestern, to the show today to talk to us about two plus, three plus two, not two plus three, three (laughs) plus two engineering programs. Hi, Landis. Hey, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. And thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. So, you recently wrote an amazing blog post for us on three plus two engineering program. So why don't we start with the basics? And that is, what is a three plus two engineering program? Oh, and by the way, you actually worked at a university where they had this three plus two engineering program. That's correct. correct. That's correct. Right. So at Dartmouth, uh, it's one of the institutions that offers the three plus two engineering program. Uh, Well, this kind of program is a special educational track that students can embark upon that actually combines two different educational experiences. So they can have three years at an undergraduate liberal arts institution, typically a smaller college, and they can kind of focus in on whatever major they want. And then they will enroll in an engineering school. Mm -hmm. Typically, this will be an engineering school that offers them more kind of focused educational experiences within engineering. The thing that happened is that these schools uh, kind of joined forces, essentially. Mm -hmm. And what they said is they're like, okay, we don't offer an engineering program, but we want to give students a foundation in their education to kind of segue naturally into an engineering program. So these are five-year programs. That's the three plus the two. Right. Three years in a liberal arts education, and then you do two years at the engineering school. The great thing is that you'll graduate with two degrees. So you'll get a bachelor's from your liberal arts education and then a second degree in engineering from that engineering school. Right. Which is pretty good. And then, you know, I think families hear, oh, five years. Right. But what is a typical engineering student doing? In, right. So the typical engineering student is actually probably graduating in five years anyway. Yeah. Right? right. So they typically will have extra educational opportunities that kind of extend their degree for their undergraduate education into five years anyway. Right. The benefit here is that they get two degrees. Okay. Yeah. Whereas doing a typical undergraduate engineering program, which may be five years anyway, they'll only graduate with that one degree. And so right. that's kind of the difference between these two offerings. Right. And and what's also kind of exciting is that a lot of the engineering programs are at some, gr- you know, the liberal arts programs are really wonderful. And then the engineering programs are at really wonderful schools. So right. also great. So right. how does it work? Does a student apply 
to both programs when they're applying to be admitted or walk us through that process? Sure. It actually is act, it's actually a little bit different than that. So mm-hmm. typically the student applies to their undergraduate liberal arts institution. And again, there are countless institutions out there. I do actually recommend that if you're interested in something like this, that you go to um, the websites uh, of these institutions. Typically, well, actually, there are three programs that are fairly popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is at Dartmouth, which is where I worked at yep. the engineering school there. And then there's also Columbia and Washington University in St. Louis. They have mm-hmm. very extensive connections with liberal arts institutions across the country. So you can start there or start with the admission side of a liberal arts college that you're typically interested in. And you can see what the steps may be to go into a three, two, three plus two program. Right. Now, generally, the student applies to their undergraduate admission, uh, admissions process separately than the actual process to get into the 3-2 program. Generally, they'll apply for 3 plus 2 somewhere in their sophomore year. Okay? okay. So then if you're able to like meet the GPA criteria, you're able to satisfy some kind of prerequisites during your undergraduate liberal arts experience, then that'll again get you that access to one of the engineering schools. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I think I saw there's, a, is there a list where, where students can find m- many of the programs that are currently available right now? There was like a wiki list, maybe? There is a wiki. So the thing is that like the wiki is a complicated uh, <laughs> URL <laughs> that I have not memorized. So I do advise just do like a quick web search. Just Got do it. Like a three plus two wiki. If you okay. look that up online, it'll be able to take you to the Wikipedia that offers a list of those liberal arts colleges that have those connections with those engineering schools. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, and I like, think, URL is pretty complicated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, like, and it's fine. Right. And we're not going to read it out loud because people will be like listening in their car. Oh, I'll Google that later, <laughs> right? So that's exactly. probably the key. I do think that one of the important caveats we would throw out there, right, is it's Wikipedia, mm-hmm. which means it's updated by people. And and, Correct. you know, not necessarily the colleges. So right. it's not going to be the definitive list, but it, right. it'll it point you in the right direction, which I exactly. think is important. And again, like that's a great place to kind of just start to give right. you a kind of jump start into the search. Again, like it's not definitive, but again, you'll be able to see a list generally of those schools. Again, I always recommend to follow up with the actual school itself. Yep. So if you see a liberal arts college on that list, go to their admissions website. See what it is that they say about their three to three plus two process. And then that'll give you the most up to date information. So those colleges websites are actually probably the best way to go. But again, that wiki will give you some foundational information to kind of springboard you right into the search process. Exactly. Uh, and any anything that you would want students to keep top of mind. So I'm entering a liberal arts program. They have three plus two. I have my sights set on the two years in engineering. What should I be thinking of from day one or thinking that, oh, I need to make sure I do this? Right, right. So the great thing that you can do is that if you know that you want to go into a three plus two program, just start the process early as soon as you get admitted to the institution that um, is going to give you that liberal arts education. Mm-hmm. Just start early. Look for any advisor or mentor at that institution that's your, that's your alma mater, really. Yeah. And then see whether or not they, again, will have that information. Typically, they do have someone at the institution that kind of helps guide yeah. students through the three plus two process. So find that person, you know, connect yep. with them. Um, and then you can then see, okay, what are those prerequisites? What can I measure in? What are the steps that I need to do in order to complete the process into this type of program? 
And right. so get that started, like as soon as you hit the ground at your liberal arts institution, and then you'll be able to, again, kind of incorporate that kind of track into your overall educational program. Right. Because I think for something like this, one of the challenges is that you can't really float along. You have only three years to satisfy the graduation requirements for your, right, your undergraduate work. And then you also simultaneously need to be making sure you're taking the courses that are going to be required for the two-year engineering program. Mm -hmm. And it's not the kind of thing that you're just going to kind of like, oh, I'm going to choose whatever right. I choose. And then boom. <laughs> you're fall into it. Right? Exactly. That's exactly right. This is not going to be spoon fed to you and you're not going right. to fall into it. You are going to need to take an active role in Correct. your education. Correct. So the idea is to then, again, know what you want to do. So again, this will take a little bit more work mm -hmm. on your part as an yeah. undergraduate to kind of see, A, again, who's out there that's mm -hmm. going to help me understand this process. And then finding that research to see how then you'll be able to complete your undergraduate experience at your liberal arts school and then transition into the engineering school. So you have to do a lot more work. It's not just like something you can fall into, right? right. right. Something that requires you to be a lot more proactive yeah. so that you have to search out, again, folks that can help you with this. And then you have to kind of see, okay, what are those opportunities for those engineering schools that are out there as well? Right. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the things I have read some about um, mm -hmm. people kind of, um, you know, is just these three plus two programs seem really great, right? And Dartmouth mm -hmm. and Columbia in particular, and probably WashU and St. Louis partner yeah. with a lot of liberal arts institutions. Yeah. So, I don't believe they are welcoming a flood of students to their campuses every year. So I personally, if this was something, for example, that my son was interested in, I would probably be having asking him to have those conversations with the person who's going to guide you at that institution before you actually pin all your hopes on that. Because, you know, I just... I don't know what the statistics are, but I because you can't just fall into it. I my guess is that many students are in the liberal arts program. They maybe get right. focused on other things. They thought, oh, I'm good at math and science. I'm going to go into mm -hmm. engineering, and they lose interest. Or they just decide not to. Um, I would be interested in, and I don't think anybody keeps stats on that because you're not applying to the program right. when you apply, right? right? How many students start with the intention of doing that and how many actually do the program? So those, if you're really dead set on it, mm -hmm. um, I do think those are some questions I would ask before you enroll. Um, I agree. Yeah. I definitely agree because these schools don't produce these statistics. So you don't know like, right. oh, are there 150 students that do the three plus two? Are there 75? They, like, right. You don't know. Again, this requires you as an undergraduate to do a little more work. The benefit again, however, is that you will then experience something that is a little less typical, mm -hmm. but also that gives you two distinct educational experiences, right? So you do that little legwork ahead of time mm -hmm. to get those outcomes that are going to be very beneficial for you. The interesting thing is that a lot of traditional engineering programs are getting very competitive nowadays, yeah, right? right? So uh, the, the STEM uh, areas just in general are fairly popular now, but particularly engineering, mm -hmm. uh, computer engineering, electrical engineering, uh, civil engineering, all of these are very, very popular nowadays. They become very competitive on yeah. the uh, uh, admissions front if you just typically want to go directly into those schools. A lot of these engineering programs are at some of the awesome flagship state institutions, right? Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and again, they're very competitive. If you are a student who's like, okay, 
I want to do engineering, but maybe I have an interest in history as well, or I'm thinking about something in the sciences, but maybe I don't know. And, or if you're questioning yourself, like I'm not fully committed to an engineering program right, right now, what else is out there? A three, two, a three plus two program can be an excellent opportunity for you. Right. That way you can have that liberal arts education and then you can segue into the engineering program. The great thing about that is that in your liberal arts education, you're going to get those critical thinking skills. You're going to get those analytical skills. You're going to get uh, skills that are going to help build your educational experience at the engineering school. I would recommend that students are kind of thinking about engineering school. Again, this is kind of a great way to go, especially because they're very competitive nowadays. Right. So something to think about. Again, like, I don't know what the statistics are. The schools don't produce them. I don't know how competitive these programs are, but as you said, Beth, just like reach out to the person that's the right. coordinator or the one that is kind of uh, leading students along this kind of path at those institutions. Get that information from them. Connect right. with them. Find out what those steps are going to be. Find out what those prerequisites are. And then once you get that, then you'll be able to kind of figure out like, OK, this might be a good thing for me. Right. Right. And I think, too, in reaching out, um, it may become clear that it's really supported at one school and not at another. Or, you know, they kind of just like, oh, yeah, we have that at one school. And the other school is like, yes, we have that. Here is the person who will guide you. Why don't you talk to them? And seeing, you know, a lot of times you visit colleges, they all, I mean, they're all great, right? Like, I do all these tours on my own. And now with my son, I'm like, oh, this would be such a great school. I would be so happy. Here. I would love to go here. But it's, <laughs> it's not until you drill down into the things that really impact what your goals are that you may sometimes start to see differences that will be really impactful and that Very you often so. kind of gloss over mm-hmm. um, in the in the interest of, well, but uh, their football team is so good right. or <laughs> the dorms were amazing or whatever right. it is, right? right? So this is That's a good right. place to dig in a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, looking at these programs, again, they are out there. And this is yes. the great thing is that like, and they're not so popular, which yes. means that again, if you want to go the engineering route, take a look, look up those three plus two programs that are out there. You're going to have a wonderful, supportive educational experience. And then on top of that, in your your liberal arts education, on top of that, you'll then go to engineering school and get that degree as well, right? right? And so those kind of experiences are rare. Again, it's very untraditional and not as popular. So if you're a student that's interested in engineering, you think that this is something that you want to do. Again, if your end goal is to enter that field, which is very large, by the way, right, exactly. if that's your end goal, then consider a three plus two program. See what's out there. See what these schools are offering, what their connectivity is. And as you said, Beth, see which ones are offering that depth of support versus yeah, yeah. ones that are like the three plus two. Yeah, you got to do that on your own. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. Figure, like, figure oh, yeah. it out. <laughs> I think we have that. I'm not sure what that's right, all I about. I heard about that before, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that could be something that's going to be beneficial for you as well, for the student as well, to kind of look a little bit deeper into that. Again, that kind of research, understanding that program, understanding that process prior to even applying to schools is going to be something beneficial for you as well. So yeah. you can kind of, uh, incorporate that into your research process as you're looking at schools. Yep. And then that can then naturally lead you toward those um, toward those awesome educational experiences yep. that are the three plus two. Right. Those best fits. Landis, yep. thank you so much for being here today. Yes. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Beth. It's always good to see you. <laughs> yeah, you too. And how nice to see you. Have it recorded and we've shared yep. out with everybody. Awesome. Um, 
We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about supplemental essays because it is that time of year. So don't go away. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts, who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions, offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Uh, welcome back, everybody. We're back from a quick break, and we are talking about supplemental essays. And I'm going to put one more plug in here for my seniors out there. If you have not started on your college essays, uh, there is no time like the present, and I don't want to make you feel good about this. You are behind the eight ball. You need to start writing. This is not a test. Now is the time. Uh, All right, and the proof that now is the time is that not only are we talking about essays, we're talking about supplemental essays, which typically are not released until um, around August 1st. Um, and joining me to discuss those is my colleague, Jen Simons, who is also a former admissions officer at Barnard, at Connecticut College, at Northeastern, and at Tufts. So she knows what she's talking about because she's worked for four schools, three of which ask for supplemental essays. Um, hi, Jen. Hi, how are you, Beth? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Great, thank you. Good. Why don't we start with the very basics? What the heck are supplemental essays? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so if you are using the common application or the coalition application, um, it's very likely or it's likely that a college will want to get more specific information um, from you. So think of it as you have the FAFSA for you know federal aid, and then you have possibly additional uh, questions through the college board to dive in a little bit more distinctly. And so what the purpose of the supplement is, and it's set by the individual colleges, is if they want to, to create a more personalized experience Mm -hmm. um, than just the common app, uh, you know, question for the essay, the 650 word prompt, and then the general what I call administrative questions. Right, right. And just one thing that I could share is that when I was at Penn, we were transitioning into the common app. And the reason that we didn't do it 
um, initially or held off for many years actually was because Penn had these very unique essay questions and there was a you know, just a desire not to lose that element of the application. But the writing clearly was on the wall that when all of your fellow colleges who you compete with for students go to the Common App, you could get left behind. And so um, that was kind of why we did. And now that I'm on this side, I see the beauty of the Common App um, and am happy that a lot of colleges are on board with that. Um, who, you know, who typically asks for these and, and why? Why do they ask for them? Um, you know, we talked about a little bit more personalized, but I know you have a lot of insight into kind of how they craft the questions and what they're after. And I just that would be helpful, I think, to understand. Okay, so who asks for them? Well, it's not just private colleges. It's not just public colleges. It's really there's no sort of rule or rhyme or reason. It's the colleges that want you to, um, well, they want you to sort of explain yourself a little bit more in terms of sharing things that they think are not otherwise going to be exhibited in the application. However, there are also colleges that want you to know something about what's important to them. And so they're using this as a vehicle to learn more about you 100%, but they're also using the supplement as a way for them to tell you what's important to them. And I can give you specific examples, we can wait until the end if that's preferable. But um, I want students to look at the supplements, not only as um, thinking about what they how they want to answer them, but what is the college trying to tell me about what they value? No, give us a couple of examples of that right now. I think that's a good point that you're making. Sure. So, um, you know, this year's supplements, um, for example, at Boston College, um, you the word Jesuit, um, you know, comes up several times in all different questions. They want you to know that this is a Jesuit, you know, institution. That's not true, you know, for all of the religious institutions. Some places, I don't want to say downplay it, but they don't they don't say they don't come right out and say, but BC says Jesuit, Jesuit, the, the questions have that in it. And that's, you know, great. They also, one of their new questions is in 2020, um, we faced a national reckoning on racial injustice in America. That's the that's the substance of one of their questions. They want you to know that that's important to them. You don't have to answer that question, um, but they're telling you that this is something that we think is important and you need to um, think about this. Mm -hmm. Tufts, very similarly, one of their questions is, you know, again, these are optional. You don't have to answer it, but where are you on your journey of engaging with or fighting for social justice? I think that that says, Tufts values that. And, and right. interestingly, on the flip side, you have an MIT, which is famous, infamous for being, you know, a very academically demanding place. Um, they say, we know you lead a busy life full of activities, many of which are required of you. Tell us ab about something you do simply for the pleasure of it. So what they're saying is, yeah, you're going to work hard here, but we also care about what you do for um, pure pleasure. And then I also think it's very interesting along this same lines like Princeton 
um, says in one of their comments about their uh, supplemental questions, there are no right or wrong answers. Have mm -hmm. fun. And I think that that's so interesting that a place like Princeton, again, another very, very highly selective, highly competitive place, lots of, you know, brilliant students. They're, they're saying, we want you to have fun with this. You know, it's not mm -hmm. so. So I just I, I think that it's important to recognize and take them at their word um, that what they're saying is something that they value. Yeah. I, you know, I think a great example of what you're saying, and, you know, if you read a question and you think, I can't believe they're asking that, why do they care? They shouldn't care, right? That's, you get that sometimes, often from parents. Why would they ask a question like this? Why do they care? I think the better thing is, if you don't like the questions they're asking, this is probably not a fit, right? Absolutely. For you or for maybe for your student or depending on who has the visceral reaction to it. By the same token, I will sometimes send students to um, the common application to look at the supplements for a school from the previous year. Mm. Um, if I am concerned that a school maybe isn't necessarily a fit and I want to say, and I say, look at the questions they're asking and see what how you react to it. Chicago is a great example of this, right? You get students who are interested because it's got this reputation and it's a great school, but it is a very specific school and experience. And if you read the supplemental questions and your reaction is, oh my goodness, I have no idea how I would even think about that, I, that completely blows my mind, or I'm not interested in that, then that tells you something about your fit with the school. Um, and, and so your point is a really good one, which is that supplemental essays absolutely are there for you to show the fit, but they're also showing you, and you should never, ever, ever lose sight of the fact that you decide where you apply. Yes, they are going to admit you or not, but you are the one who decides which schools really make sense for you. And if the prompts send you spinning in a not good way, then that might be a sign that this is not a great school for you. I, I actually never thought of that, like, from the point of view as like, a, like, for example, an MIT admissions officer, and mm -hmm. I'm just speculating this, but they don't want kids on their campus. I mean, again, correct me, you know, Stu, if, if I'm wrong, um, if you're hearing this, <laughs> but I feel like they're saying if you don't get pleasure out of anything, right. <laughs> you know, we, we don't want you here. We want you to work hard, play hard, so to speak. I don't know that that's an MIT thing, but we, we want you to also have fun. Right. Well, they want students who are going to continue to do the pranks that MIT is famous yes, for, that's right? Exactly and right? Exactly right. You yeah. know, so when I see that, that genuine engagement and spirit and fascination, but fun with this, then I think that's an MIT student. And one of the reasons I think that is because they asked that question. So um, yeah, I think, I think what we're getting at here is that these supplemental essays are really important. And but you also do need to be thoughtful about not only how you're going to answer them, but also like, why are schools asking this? And does it make sense for me? What they're getting at, does that sound like me? And if it doesn't, then maybe that's them trying to subtly let you know, maybe you should move on to a different school. Something to think about. So where you mentioned that students can often find these on the school's websites, I think in my mind, it's a little hit or miss. Ideally, yeah. they're available on all the school's websites, but we all know that websites are, you know, not all created equal. So what's your go-to if, um, you know, a student has a list of schools and they're looking for the supplements? Do you, you know, how do you have them access them typically? Oh, yeah. What I tell students to do is you have 20 uh 
schools that you can add to your queue on the Common App. And Mm -hmm. when you add them to your queue, and that doesn't mean you're applying to 20 schools. We (laughs) hope that you're not applying to 20 schools. But um, I always have 20 schools. I wish I could have more so I could look at the the supplements um, in my queue. And so that's how you do it. You basically add them to your queue. You go to the Common App. You go to the Coalition. And the answers will be there. I will put a plug to all the deans and directors out there to please put your supplements on the website because it just makes it easy. Yes. Um, for us to access it. And um, you've worked hard on creating them. You should be proud of them. But literally just um, look at the Common App, for example, assuming that you know most of the applications can be found there and then add them to your queue. And then it'll tell you exactly what they want. Um, and that's important. It, it's also uh, you know there for additional essays that you have to write for scholarships, things like that. So that's where you want to do your research. Right. Um, the one thing that I will say is that the Common App, they do a new version every year. And so unless the Common App is updated, which the updated version should go live on August 1st, you do not want to start writing prompts that are on the old version of the Common App because colleges do change them. Not all colleges change them every year, but a college could have the same prompts for 10 years and then poof, the year you're applying, they change them and you've spent all this time working on them, thinking you had the right versions. Make sure you have the up-to-date and that's why um, there are some colleges, we very much appreciate it, thank you very much, please keep doing this, where they will release the prompts earlier than they're available on the Common App. So if you're hoping like, oh, it's not yet August 1st, but we're hoping to start working on the supplements, you can go to the school's websites and see if they have them posted there. Or in some cases, you're going to just have to sit tight and wait until the Common App updates them. Yeah. Um, Let me see. There were some other things I wanted to um, talk a little bit about. And I guess... um, can I can I actually interrupt you and say Please. one thing because you mentioned um, University of Pennsylvania at the beginning of the of the session. Um, I was very disappointed when Penn dropped their very specific essay yes. questions because often I would read them. <laughs> for the colleges that I was working at, which as you know, we're not Penn. And um, the one bit of advice I would like to give is that even though you can repurpose some of the information, certainly you're giving within these supplements, um, the colleges that have distinctive, um, specific to them supplements, I mean, forget about Chicago, that's its own special magic. Um, But the, the places like Barnard that say, if you could have, you know, I think it's a meal or a conversation with a woman and, you know, who would it be like, you want to um, take the time and it's hard for me to say this because you have a limited amount of time, but you want to take the time to create those answers specific to the institutions. Now, obviously, you know, to do that with the why Barnard or the why us, whatever right. that is, um, you know, don't just cut and paste, like be specific about what that school offers. But I would also say that each school um, has its own supplements and you should submit those supplements specifically to that school and work on the specific ones for the other schools, you know, and not sort of mix and match. Another good uh, reason to reinforce what you started out by saying, it was a little scary, but I'll reinforce it, which is (laughs) now is the time. Now is the time. Um, So get your common app or your main essay personal statement done and then start working on the supplements so that you have the time to make them unique and specific 
to the school that's asking for them. Right, right. And you did mention that you can repurpose. And I do think that's true. What I will have my students do is lay out all of the supplemental questions they're going to have to answer and look for um, overlap. Sometimes some schools will ask almost the same exact question, and in which case, it's totally fine to take something you wrote and have it um, work for the other school. But if it is a very unique answer to or a question for one school, the likelihood that that can be repurposed is typically slim to none. Maybe there are little pieces, like you say, of it that you can, um, but for the most part, it does need to be fairly specific to that school. And, you know, the other thing I'll throw out there, because I'm sure you saw it every year, I definitely did the Why This College essay, where they had forgotten to find and replace all mentions of the other college, that is really bad when that happens for two reasons. One, if you wrote a Why This College essay and all you need to change is the name of the school, it's a poorly done Why This College. And we will talk about those um, in a future podcast. We do every year, but we'll do it again. But also because just that's bad. (laughs) No, absolutely. And I would even say when I was at Tufts in my information session, I would say if I can insert the name of any other college or university into this Y Tufts, you've not done a good job because there are lots of schools in the Boston area. There are lots of schools that have, you know, biology. I mean, yeah, exactly. It needs to be specific. And you also just typos on their own, no big deal. I will say this, when I was reading at Penn, when we were still reading on paper, I would, if I started to see a number of typos, I would start to circle them. And, you know, if you had 10, that to me, not good, or like a lot of circles on the page. One typo, no big deal. And people get themselves so wigged out about a typo. I would worry less about the typo and more about that kind of sloppiness where you're not trying hard, where you're, this is good enough. That is way worse than you know, a small typo or two that you have on an essay. Um, I don't want to see any typos, Beth. I'm going to totally disagree with you. Isn't yeah. that terrible? I mean. <laughs> they happen. I think the point is they happen. Like, um, no one's perfect and you can read over something 10 times and just your eye can skip over, which is why we do always recommend you have one other person read it purely from the typo perspective, not to offer their opinion, not to like weigh in on what you should change, more just Am I have I misspelled anything? But um, I mean, did you ever not admit a student because Never. of one typo on an oh, no, That's no, no. my Absolutely. point. Absolutely. And that's my point, right? You notice it, you don't like it, but it would never be a factor. You would never bring that up in the committee room. So anyway, you're tough, Jen. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you joining us. And um uh, I want to thank all of my colleagues for joining us today. Next week, Ian is here, and he is going to be sharing another story from our team. So one of our um, my colleagues is going to join and talk about her journey through college, what she focused on, and why. Um, we're also going to be answering your questions. So if you have questions, please send them to us, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. You could also post them on Facebook. You could post them on Instagram or at at College Coach BH, or you could post them on me, my page at Elizabeth Heaton 92. Um, 
Also, if you love this podcast and you want to let other people know what a great podcast this is, we hope you think it's great, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. The more we get, the easier it is for people to find us. Um, so please give us a review, and I hope it's a good review if you take the time to do a review. Um, and if you, last thing is that if you are interested in learning what we've covered or if there's a, something that you're really interested in learning more about, we blog about every podcast, so you can go to our blog and search there. Uh, blog.getintocollege.com and you will see the day and time that this aired and you can click on it and um, and listen to the podcast and don't forget we are here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific you are listening to getting in a college coach conversation to submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.